Student Network MLSN is proud to present to you the first webinar of our new panel for 2021-2022, which is titled Encrypting Corporate and Commercial Law. My name is Bethany, and I am the Project Director of the Legal Space Department. A little bit story about us. MLSM was founded in 2020. Our goal is to bridge the gap between Malaysian law students from all across the globe. Also, to learn the Malaysian legal industry with access to tips, insights, articles, and resources relating to legal field. On behalf of MLSN, I'd like to say thank you to our speaker today, Mr. Gilfred, and also our moderator, Mr. Gubinder, for joining us today to introduce and share some insights into how corporate and commercial works practically. And now, let me begin the session by introducing our moderator for today's session. Gubinder was graduated with an LLB from the University of London and was called to the bar in the High Court of Malaya in 2020. His areas of practice surround general disputes resolution with an emphasis on corporate and commercial disputes. He is an avid reader and writer and had published several articles and research uh, papers. In his pastimes, he hosts self-help groups and conducts classes for the candidates of the CLP examination. So without further ado, I'll now pass the floor to our moderator today. Over to you, Guminda. Thank you, Bethany. Very wonderful. Uh introduction of me. I think you've gone overboard. Anyways, a very good afternoon to those of you who are tuning in from the comforts of your own home. Welcome to MLSN's first ever webinar and thank you for being with us. Today we have a very special speaker, Mr. Gilfred Ho, who will be speaking uh, to enlighten us on the topic encrypting corporate and commercial. Now, Gilfred is a uh, it's part of a very special uh, niche group of individuals who have been in both sides of the spectrum. When I say this, I mean that he was a former senior associate with Screen and Company for five years, where in his practice area surrounds corporate and commercial advisory and dispute resolution. Gilfred then subsequently went on uh, to be appointed as an in-house counsel with Yves Yap, Sabun Malaysia, wherein he single-handedly established their legal department, coordinated the internal uh, due diligence and the company's first ever 500 million sukuk program. His current portfolio includes overseeing three other affiliated companies in the Asian region. Now, having said that, I think uh, Mr. Gilfred's uh, portfolio definitely far exceeds mine. Mr. Gilfred, could you please say a few words uh, to our audience? Uh, thanks, uh, Binder, for the uh, wonderful introduction. I think uh, it does me more credit uh, than actually what's uh, written on my CV, but uh, also a uh, great pleasure and be honored to be a uh, first speaker uh, for the uh, Malaysian Law Student Network. Uh, kudos to you guys for doing such a good job. Now, uh, the topic that I'll be sharing today will be uh, corporate and commercial law. Now, um, many people confuse uh, because uh, between these two uh, streams of law, because ultimately, one is corporate, the other is commercial. After all, it, literal meanings of these two words are so similar. Now, let me, let me just share um, uh, what I think yeah, and what industry uh, perceives uh, these two uh, streams of law are, especially in the minds of uh, practitioners as well as uh, recruiters. Yeah, because they will always ask you, do you have a corporate law background? So you must think, hey, uh, what are they asking for? Do, they, do you have commercial law background? Okay, and what is that about? Yeah. Now, commercial law uh, really is uh, 
the lawyer or in-house lawyer or consultant that deals with legal issues that occur in the running of businesses. It's the day-to-day -day, uh, kind of uh, operation and uh, transaction. Okay, it's very much a daily. There is no specific uh, area of focus. Uh, whatever that the business requires in terms of uh, uh, legally speaking, that will be covered by commercial law. Now, corporate law, if you ask me, is more specific and niche, but does not necessarily means that it is a, a narrow scope. Yeah. So for example, corporate law, when you talk about corporate law, you talk about legal issues about uh, corporations, companies, formations of companies, partnerships, uh, power of directors, uh, rights of shareholders, you know, uh, compliance. Also, a very uh, common area in corporate law talks about the M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah? You have uh, various corporate exercises, such as private and public fundraising, mergers and acquisition, takeover, restructuring. Uh, nowadays, uh, you also have, uh, I'll, I'll go into that, you know, I'll talk about the key trends in these two areas of law uh, uh, these days. Yeah. So that sums up the differences and the uh, definition of these two streams of law. Now, I'll give an, uh, uh, also an example of uh, commercial law. Yeah. Um, as a good commercial lawyer or a good commercial legal counsel, you need to have general understanding of almost everything because as a company, you need to be, you need to have an office, right? So that's the, the lease agreement or the tenancy agreement. You need to have a permit to run your licenses. You need to have various licenses if you are storing chemicals or if you're operating heavy machineries, right? So that's the licensing and compliance part, okay? You need to also have general understanding in uh, um, intellectual property law, for example, right? Your mark, your brand logo, how are you going to protect that? Yeah, your copyrights, you know, things that you produce. Uh, for example, when it involves a, a manufacturing process, like uh, if you're working for a pharmaceutical company or KFC or Coca-Cola, then you have to, you need to know the trade secret law and as well as the patent law. Um, you need to have a good understanding on contractual uh, um, principles because you'll be handling a lot of disputes, uh, sale of goods, supply of services, uh, regulations, uh, how to recover that. Basically, somebody who is a good commercial lawyer is somebody who knows something about everything and everything about something, yeah? Now, uh, for corporate law, yeah, I will start with uh, corporate law. What are some of the recent trending topics, right? We have uh, anti-bribery and corruption compliance because uh, recently in Malaysia introduced a Section 17A uh, um, MACC Act, which says that a director can be personally liable for uh, the corrupt act of a company or an employee or agent of the company. So this raised a lot of eyebrows in the boardroom. Directors be like, hey, we need to put in adequate processes to cover ourselves in case you know this sort of things happen. So this raised the awareness in terms of compliance with uh, anti-corruption law. Also, you have uh, a lot of uh, we, we see a lot more uh, companies in distress because of the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic. Yeah, so we see a lot more uh, corporate restructuring, for example, 
or you need the court to step in uh, to rescue the company. So you have a lot of applications for judicial rescue. Uh, you have a lot of uh, voluntary uh, crediting, creditor arrangement, you know, uh, to protect the company from uh, insolvency suits per se, while the company recovers from these difficult times. Yeah. Now, uh, some of the recent trending topics in commercial law, for example, is we see a rise in commercial fraud, fictitious contracts, phishing emails. Yeah. So how do companies protect themselves uh, from, from, from these aspects? What are the things you can do to immediately uh, recover or at least freeze the assets that have been stolen or channeled into fraudulent accounts? Yeah. You see a lot of, uh, of course, during the MCO, you see a lot of uh, false merger clauses being interpreted and being invoked by companies. So a uh, false merger clause is one boilerplate clause. It's a standard clause that nobody ever bothers to take a look twice when you're actually reviewing a contract. Sometimes it's being taken for granted. Some contracts might not even have false merger clause. So what do companies do in that situation? Can I go for frustration of contract? What is the threshold? So these are the things that concerns uh, uh, commercial law. You need to be handy. You need to be uh, uh, somebody who gives proposals and answers. Uh, most of the time, the law is a logical uh, thing. The law does not propose illogical ideas and, and, and uh, um, solutions. So your solutions, if you do not know whether your solutions are uh, right or wrong under the law, but first of all, it must be logical because if it's illogical or it's not practical, then most of the time it is, when you check it, it is actually not the law. It's not, not the law says. The law always is, uh, the law always makes sense. Yeah? That, that's uh, what uh, we always say. Mm. Now, um, so that, that pretty much sums up the uh, differences between the corporate and commercial law. And I've also given you recent trending topics in these two areas. The cases and work that I usually handle. Now, for corporate uh, law, what I've done in my experience is that uh, uh, in my current uh, position, I'm attached with the finance department of an MNC, which means I review a lot of, of uh, uh, funding documents, uh, loan, agree loan agreements, facility agreements, uh, guarantee documents, as well as uh, we recently established a um, 500 million ringgit uh, Sukuk program. Yeah, so um, you, you will be doing a lot of uh, uh, reviewing of documents, agreements, uh, ensuring, for example, what resolutions are properly drafted and passed to approve the borrowings and transactions. Now, each different bank loans will have uh, different wordings, but most of the, them are actually more or less the same. It is those uh, wordings that you need to be sure, and as you, as you will be, you know, it comes with experiences, you will know that uh, uh, bank usually have a covenant to say, look, you cannot put any uh, mortgage on your existing uh, property or assets without first asking for our, our consent, things like that. There are also m activities uh, during COVID-19, because a lot of companies are restructuring, they are uh, entering and exiting the, the field of business, investors are, investors are leaving and also investing into new things. So there are a lot of uh, mergers, acquisitions, takeover. So during these M&A activities, uh, 
uh, corporate lawyers will be involved in negotiation, pre-negotiation agreement, such as uh, uh, prior to contracting, you have like uh, non-disclosure agreement, you know, confidentiality agreement. Also, you will have things like uh, heads of terms or memorandum of understanding <clears throat> before you actually proceed to drafting the full and final agreement. You will also go through what uh, we commonly commonly known as a due diligence process, the due diligence of the company by uh, getting all their contracts, all their licenses. You know, so you are then supposed to advise your client as to whether this company is uh, legally sound. So what I like to call a due diligence exercise is a legal health or legal medical checkup on a company. Right, you will then see uh, whether this company has the necessary uh, documents, whether they have paid their uh, liabilities, whether they really own the land that they say they own, where they are situated on, okay. Most of the times, uh, because of COVID, uh, due diligence are done uh, via a virtual data room. Um, but on and off, you still need to go and do the physical inspection to make sure that the factory is really there and not just uh, your, your client is not just buying a brochure, you know. Now, uh, also, uh, very importantly, uh, corporate litigation, uh, what I've just said is non-contentious uh, corporate side of, of uh, things. There are some lawyers also uh, who practice in corporate litigation uh, side of things. And this includes you know, things like boardroom tussles. What if uh, three directors and three directors can't see eye to eye and the other director just uh, voted for one side? You know, what happens in that situation? Or for example, if you are holding company appoints or nominate a director to sit in one of the subsidiary, what happens if that director refused to take orders from you? You know, what, what are the duties of the directors? How can you remove the director before it causes uh, irreversible havoc to the company? Yeah. Uh, so more often than not, you see a lot of injunctions. You see a lot of declarations. You see a lot of uh, 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 court uh, orders to prevent things from meeting EGM from being held caught asking uh, directors to uh, be personally undertake to not uh, do any action until a court decides on this issue. There's also a minority oppression action, right? If you are minority shareholders in a company, yeah, and uh, um, they <clears throat> consistently uh, issues new shares, yeah, to dilute your, uh, the voting rights of your share. You know, so these are, you know, what we call, uh, well, common terms bullying, but in, in legal terms, uh, a minority oppression. When it comes to commercial, the cases that are usually handled are far ranging, uh, but uh, most of the time, this is when people don't see eye to eye in terms of contractual interpretations. Yeah. Um, and also uh, non-delivery of uh, goods, uh, non-payments, yeah, delays, basically uh, falling short of what they agreed to perform uh, in terms of standards of the contract. I also personally uh, developed a uh, liking and fondness for fraud investigation and asset recovery because it is quite dramatic. Uh, when that happens, usually you, you see a lot of Moriba injunction. Uh, in one of the cases that I've done, actually, we uh, obtained an order called an Anton Pillar order, which means uh, the lawyer, together with supervising solicitors, go and knock on the defendant's door and say, look, this is an Anton Pillar order. 
equivalent to like a search order, like a police, you know, like a warrant, goes into your house and started collecting whatever evidence they think uh, is relevant to the case. So this is one of the most invasive uh, court order that you can, you can get in terms of civil proceedings. Usually this is a criminal proceedings, you know, like SWAT teams coming down your door, you know, going to your place, arresting people and all. But Anton Tiller is a civil uh, remedy or options available, which is quite intrusive, if you ask me. That would be a good experience if you get to um, uh, be in a fraud uh, file. Um, I also give a lot of uh, intellectual property consultations. For example, uh, when you register a trademark in Malaysia, how do you then extend it to cover the rest of the world, right? And what happens if in a jurisdiction, you have an opposition to your trademark to say that it is quite similar and all that. So how do we manage with external party to decide whether to take action to oppose or appeal that particular uh, uh, country's uh, registry's decision on, the, on your trademark registration? Um, also uh, compliance, I make sure that a uh, company complies with personal data protection, um, what I call the ABC training anti-bribery and corruption uh, training. Yeah, so these are all very important uh, in terms of the commercial aspect. Now, um, the last part I will say is, uh, who do I usually work with or deal with uh, in my experience, uh, both in-house and um, um, practice experience? Um, see, of course, you know, when you talk about clients, usually they are either individuals, right? Most of the time, if you, have, if you take a case from a small business, it will be the owner or the founder. If you take a case from a uh, medium-sized company, you might be talking to their manager, you know, or HR or admin manager. If you talk about global uh, MNCs, you're talking about the head of legal or legal counsel, right? So um, unlike... Um, uh, former days, uh, clients these days are very sophisticated and uh, many have either been trained or have practiced in legal uh, um, uh, industry before. So uh, gone are those days when you just tell your client, hey, uh, take this pill, it's going to solve all your legal problems. They will just take the pill and swallow it and say, okay, let's hope for the legal problems to be solved. Nowadays, um, your actually what I call clients will actually Google up their symptoms and they are even uh, more, um, how do I say, even more senior to, uh, than you. For example, me, uh, six years or seven years uh, PQE, could be dealing with an in-house counsel who have 20 years experience in the shipping line. You know, So a lot of times uh, clients nowadays are getting increasingly demanding and I would say difficult, but uh, demanding and uh, um, have uh, higher standards. So we must not let our ball game uh, drop also. Yeah, we must always improve and read uh, to keep up with the updates. Um, now, uh, my experiences, so other than clients, okay, I want to also talk about uh, colleagues. As a lawyer, most of the time, you won't, you won't find yourself dealing with only lawyers. You will work a lot with consultants. Yeah, for example, in the merger and acquisition, you will be working a lot with external lawyers, solicitors from other jurisdictions. You will be working with valuers who tells you whether or not uh, your, your asset is worth that much. You will be working with tax consultants, accountants. You'll be also working with uh, 
uh, what I call a business strategy uh, consultant who, who tells you about in that jurisdiction, what are the norms of doing business? What are the rules and regulations that you have to be aware? Yeah. Um, now, I have two things to say when, when dealing with um, clients this day. Um, first of all, uh, not everybody likes lawyer. That is the uh, truth that you will see. Because a lot of times when, they, when you mention that you are a lawyer and uh, uh, they think that you will be quite destructive, right? Because you are going to say, no, 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 you cannot do this. No, 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 you cannot do that. So my advice is actually, do not be a disabler, be an enabler, uh, you know, be an enabler in the sense that highlight to them what are the risks and let business people decide on commercial decision. Yeah, because one will tell you, if you were to look at all the risks and say no to every risk, then we will just wound up and not do any business. Every business decision has risk. So the job of a commercial or corporate lawyer is to tell them, hey, look, here's the risk, here's the red flag. Uh, you decide to ignore it or not. Now, having said that, don't be a yes man. Nobody hires a lawyer to be yes man. You know? People often hire a lawyer to tell them, no, you can't do this, but here's an alternative, here's the solution. Right? So clients, they don't like you to be a yes man, nor a disabler, but you must always tell them what are the risks and offer them solutions and uh, um, alternatives. So, so those are the two things I have to say uh, from my experience uh, dealing with the clients uh, and clients these days. Yeah. So, so much for my introduction. I think uh, um, I've given a brief overview of uh, commercial and corporate law, my experiences uh, in these two fields, as well as the uh, clients and my experiences uh, dealing with them. Thank you. Thank you, Gilfred. I think what a wonderful uh, introduction and overview you gave us uh, from clients all the way to what you must know uh, to understanding what the nature of the job is. I think it's a wonderful overview. But let's go into it a little deeper for our audience because I think they want to know this. You mentioned earlier, you said people must know something about everything and everything about something. So now the question here for you, Gilfred, the first question is, would you go into an in-house counsel uh, uh, portfolio first or would you start in private practice first? Now, um... I know a lot of uh, even my juniors these days uh, have told me that the market is really soft. You know, law firms are very cautious in hiring new candidates. Even taking interns nowadays is difficult because uh, they don't want, you know, a third party to be in the office. It's to them, that increases the risk of COVID-19 infections and all that. Uh, so no doubt, market is soft, right? So to my view, right, I think that people shouldn't be choosy these days. If there is an opportunity that you think is related to your career progression or related to law, whether it's an internship in a company or internship with the NGO, you know, or internship with the charitable organization, right? You should grab it. Because having some experiences, albeit irrelevant, is better than having no experiences. Now, I'm not sure what is the law or regulation when it comes to uh, do you have to be admitted or get
get the pupillage spot immediately right after you pass your bar or pupillage or, or CRP, sorry, or CRP. Now, if the case is you don't have to immediately do that and you have a validity period or window where you can uh, get your pupillage later, actually to me, uh, answer is straightforward. Let me tell you this scenario. If you are a law firm uh, hiring candidates, one is a fresh grad. The other one has worked in-house, for example, or have related uh, legal experiences somehow uh, interning or working at a paralegal in, in firms. Which one would you prefer? Of course, to me, if you ask me, uh, of course, I would prefer to hire the person who has some form of experiences. Not necessary uh, to say that fresh grad is better, you know, but commercially, the decision is, is preferred to have some, is preferred to have a candidate with some experiences than uh, fresh grad, if you ask me. Okay, thank you, Mr. Guilford, for uh, that, that. That is an amazing answer. I think that is the golden answer, actually, to what our audience wants to know. But you actually, you took the other route, isn't it? You started in private practice first, and then you went over to in-house, right? Exactly, exactly, Binder. What happened to me, actually, is uh, while I was doing, I mean, uh, market in 2014, of course, is a different sentiment. Um, back then, when I was in uh, BPP Manchester, um, um, screen had sort of like a, a talent program and they immediately uh, started hiring on campus itself. So we didn't really have to send out cover notes. Those were, you know, uh, better times and happier times actually. Yeah, so during these times, I think, uh, you know, we need to do something else rather right, than right. taking with the, you know, uh, graduate, pass, ELP, then pupillage, then so on and so forth. Right, the so there's no need to follow that norm anymore. We should no, actually improve. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need to adapt. Yeah, those who adapt and change will, pre will um, prevail. Right, right, right. Now, since you've been on the other side of the spectrum, actually, you've been on both, you started with private practice first. What are the benefits <coughs> that you think that you brought over into uh, in house? Say, for example, um, the advantages or what you felt that you contributed strongly because of your legal background at the start? Now, um, because I came from a delegation background, you know, uh, I think my company benefited a lot in terms of uh, they needed somebody who actually look at uh, the litigation aspects. And when it comes to drafting agreements, what I can say is anyone can have standard agreements. Basically, all the companies, if you're not talking about a startup or if you're not talking about very niche uh, industry like Grab or, you know, Bitcoin or FinTech, you know, blockchain, okay. Almost all the commercial agreements, sale and purchase of goods and all that, yeah. We have standard templates. So anyone can just fill in the blank. But uh, it needs somebody with experience, especially looking from a litigation perspective, you know, to secure your clients, right? So I think I brought in that, that benefit to my uh, current company, yeah. Right, right. Because from what mm -hmm. I understand, actually, Mr. Gilbert, uh, Usually, uh, the legal arm of the company, the company, especially in Malaysia, we don't really treat that as sort of like an investment or profit generating arm. But actually, it's more towards a saving arm in terms of when litigation comes in the future. So you're actually preempting things and you're prompting things in the event that it happens. Correct. Uh, in fact, many organizations see uh, legal department as a cost center. 
whereas in the law firm, you are a revenue generating uh, uh, department because you brought in revenue. In in uh, in an organization, business uh, organization, you are just seen as uh, somebody who says no, no cannot do this, no cannot do this. You are seen as disruptive. Now there are ways to navigate through this. Uh, um, maybe I can share a bit on the skills needed to be, say, a good commercial lawyer. Yes, please. Yes, please. Go ahead. Now, um, needless to say, you need to have a strong command of language drafting skills. Very basic. People, people expect this from a lawyer. You need to be good with the words. Yeah. So grammar and all that. Uh, uh, people are, when, when people um, see how you speak, how you present yourself, how you write, people respect that. You know, people respect good work. For example, one time I was in court, uh, court of appeal. Uh, the panel asked, uh, what is the cost that you're asking for a counsel? The person stopped and said, 3K. So the uh, judge was like, judge is an old timer, you know, 70 over 65 years old. 3K? What is 3K? Uh, 3K, 3K, yes, 3K. Then the judges started having, a, I, I heard some murmuring from the bench. Uh, the judge said, you mean 3,000? Yes, 3,000. The lawyer got a scolding. Say la, 3K, you know, say la, 3,000. Don't say 3K. This is the courtroom, not Pasar Malam. So the judge got embarrassed in front of everyone. So it's the use and choice of wording, yeah? Now, also, um, business acumen. These are, I mean, you probably find this topic alone, you know, probably 20% uh, of the book of what they don't teach you in Harvard Business School is business acumen, right? And it is something that's uh, very difficult to explain also. Uh, I think it, it's, uh, it's, you need to develop that through experience. And if you are lucky, a good leader and boss in an organization that helps you realize that actually everything that you do must be uh, in good commercial uh, principles and advance the company's interests. Sometimes you may offer a legal opinion that says, okay, you cannot do this. Now that, of course, is a very good opinion, legal opinion, but it's not a good business opinion. How do you gel these two and make your legal opinion into a, also a good business opinion? Now that is when you start uh, showing your values, you know, because people in the organization will see that hey, you are not just telling us no, don't do this, but you're actually offering a different ideas, you know. We have this common misconception that uh, we think that business people make uh, better business uh, um, uh, judgments and all that. Actually, sometimes lawyers being lawyers, you know, very creative and thinking out of the box always, how to win cases, you know, and all that. Actually, sometimes uh, lawyers come up with the best uh, commercial strategies and advices. Yeah, so that's what I have to say. Have a good uh, business acumen, develop that uh, by um, always looking at why did people decide it this way and not the other way, right? Be introspective, be um, um, always uh, look into the reason behind that decision, yeah? Do not be uh, a rat who is just so busy running on the, uh, the treadmill and you forgot that the big picture, look at the big picture, that's what I have to say. Um, other skills are such as like, you must be aware of regulations uh, uh, governing the company. Yeah, um, Different departments in the company will expect different uh, knowledge from you. 
for example, human uh, resource HR department, they deal a lot with personal data. So PDPA is a must. Procurement and sales uh, sourcing, this deals a lot with the tender exercises and projects and all that. You need to be very strong uh, in terms of anti-bribery policy of the company. Uh, operations of the company, you know, you need to be, uh, you need to know the Occupational Safety and Health Act, you know, OSHA. Um, and um, what I also actually recommend is to develop these skills. Uh, you need to read a lot, right? Um, nowadays, there are so many blogs, articles out there uh, by different lawyers, you know, especially during pandemic time, people have more time to sit down in front of their laptop and start writing about the law. Right, read news articles uh, or uh, newsletters from different uh, big firms because they actually summarize the recent developments of the law uh, quite uh, succinctly uh, for you to understand. Um, also, um, last but not least, uh, people skill. How to manage expectations, how to win at negotiations. Yeah, because more often than not, your company, when they uh, find it difficult to negotiate at a particular project, right? They might just ask you, hey, Gilfred, uh, come and join us for the client meeting next week. Uh, I need you to negotiate on this point, this point, this point. Yeah, so this some, I didn't expect uh, to be called, you know, uh, to those meetings because I thought, isn't that supposed to be business people uh, kind of a job scope, not a lawyer's job scope? But don't be surprised because people see that, you know, lawyer, you have good negotiation skills. It's just a different subject matter. So they will invite you to these meetings. Uh, never be afraid to try out. And uh, you, I guarantee you that you always learn something new and it will be all worth it. Yeah. Thank you, Gilbert. Now, on that note, actually, the key takeaway that I got from it is in, there is a problem. The opinion generated, of course, you have to reflect the realities of the problem. But you cannot only give the realities of the problem. You have to give the solution to solve the problem. Now, I, I was reading one article from uh, Apple the last time. Uh, their general counsel said that their job is to go as close as possible to the line of uh, breakage and still bring them within the purview of the law. So they are trying to stretch the law as far as they can. Now, having said that, uh, Gilbert, solution here must be always logical and practical. As when I, I think when I was a pupil, I used to draft uh, opinions uh, for my master to give to the banks because the banks will always be saying, okay, we cannot release the loan simply because uh, there are some issues there. We want your firm to give us an opinion. So, of course, we understand that there are certain issues there and then we will proceed to draft the opinion. And this opinion, of course, must come with the backing of laws and all that and how that doesn't skirt the law. But this takes a certain amount of skills and experience. How would you recommend that one acquires these uh, business acumen skills? That is interesting. Now, as lawyers, you know, we are trained to seek knowledge independently. We are trained to read, right? For example, if you don't know about something, we are trained to do research on case laws and all that. That's why you always have research and writing skills in uni and all that. Like I said, you know, the, being a lawyer, uh, the law updates itself. Everyone, every now and then, you know, if you were born in 1965, you know, you're probably your sales of goods, uh, contract act, or, or you share uh, old laws knowledge would not be applicable in, you know, to 2021. 
So you need to be you need to keep yourself abreast with new developments in, in law. And how do you do that? You know, um, read. Of course, you know, I'm not saying that uh, you cannot watch football now and then, you know, or go on social media and this and that, you know. You must have fun, you know, you must have fun, you know, enjoy life, carpe diem and all that. But at the same time, you know, uh, we, we, as a lawyer, we, we must have that skill and interest or habit to, to learn. Yeah, there are, you know, many courses nowadays. Uh, once I seen one of the big four accounting firm uh, offered a course on how to read financial statements. It's only 100, 150 ringgit, you know, if I'm not, if I don't remember it uh, wrongly. Or, you know, in KL Bar, for example, last night, uh, I participated in a, a, a fireside sharing ses session uh, between legal professionals and finance professionals. So that the exchange ideas and, you know, uh, these forums are also a great opportunity for you to learn and uh, hear stories and, you know, uh, you have great takeaways uh, from, from these places also, yeah. But, of course, the best places to learn um, are from your mistakes. I, I say this to uh, the audience for this uh, webinar because um, you must make as many mistakes as possible uh, when you are young and junior. Because the court, your clients are not that forgiving anymore when you are, for example, you know, my age or uh, my seniority. Yeah. So when you are young, uh, when, you are when you start off, you will, you, you're bound to make a lot of mistakes. Do not be afraid of making those mistakes. You know, most important is one of the lessons learned uh, from those mistakes. I have made embarrassing mistakes myself uh, because we are all humans. You know, so make those mistakes early make as many as possible, learn from them. Yes, those are what I have to say uh, to your answer, Binder. Thank you. Now, Gilford, you mentioned about mistakes, but I'm sure with mistakes, there are many myths or so that uh, goes along with uh, uh, corporate and commercial work. Can you please name some of the few myths that goes along with them? Now, um, as lawyers, you know, on, once in a while, you might get certain aspects of the law wrong, okay? That is very fundamental. That should never be made, actually, yeah? Um, but the, the reality is people do make them. You, as a lawyer, you have uh, professional indemnity insurance to cover situations like that. Uh, more often than not, it's just interpretations of law that you make or assumptions. Uh, never make assumptions uh, about uh, meanings of words, for example, right? I want one case simply on definition of the meaning of penalty. And um, I assume that we are going to lose. I was so sure, I told my uh, uh, pupil master, I told my uh, uh, senior lawyer that it's a losing case. You know, it's a losing case. How, why clients still want to fight? Then he said, look at the uh, definition of this word. Get, get malas digest, yeah? Get the uh, another Christian uh, definition the Black's Law Dictionary, look at, take all the, all the definition about this word penalty, right? And see if we can extend the scope or narrow the scope to our case, uh, to, to, to win this case. And that I did and won with it, you know? So a lot of times do not make assumptions, always drill down to uh, the meaning uh, of uh, the words, yeah. Um, mistakes uh, also in 
Um, I mean, punctuality and all that, you know, it goes without saying, uh, very important because uh, the judge sometimes might just strike out your case. Once I've heard, you know, that uh, a registrar threw out a file uh, in the Kuala Lumpur uh, court complex during um, case management because the lawyer was five minutes late. Yeah, so you, you never know. Sometimes you get a bad-tempered um, um, registrar or a judge and um, the judge started forming prejudices about the lawyers who's handling this case. And at the end, who suffer? You know, the, your client's going to get the prejudice. Yeah, so punctuality is so very important. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I, of course, I wish, you know, I could, I could go back time and what I could do more is uh, I could read more. Um, I could actually go for more courses. Uh, had I not been so busy uh, and golf, it would easier said than done, you know, uh, Binder. Sometimes time management is something that I wish I could have done better also when during my younger practice so I could really maximize uh, the times I spent in law firms and all that. Yeah. But that also goes to say, I mean, as just like myself, I think we are really busy. We spend nearly 10 to 15 hours a day working. How do you see in terms of time management and, and, and case management, how do you get in between, especially if you still want to have a little bit of fun? Mm. You know, my lecturer used to say, um, he said, on the first day, you know, um, of law school, he said, behold, from this day onwards, you will eat, breathe, sleep, and drink law. Because... It is true that law is all around us. You know, when you get into a car, you drive, it's road traffic, right? You're using a pen, you know, it's a product liability. What if the pen, you know, has harmful chemicals and all that? Everything is governed by law. So there is no escape from, from law. Um, in terms of time management, it's all about priority. You will have a thousand things, you know, especially uh, back then I could manage my time better in a way because uh, I was in a law firm, you know, and with law firms, the court set the deadline, you know, everything is pretty clear. Of course, once in a while, you have injunction, which is a bit urgent, you pull an all-nighter, second day, you slip it off, you know, also when you're younger, no problem with the OT and all that, yeah. But now, working in a uh, corporate environment, the client dictates your turnaround time. And, and you know, uh, trust me when I say that uh, corporate clients can be very demanding sometimes, yeah. They want answers like, yeah, that expects you to be uh, knowledgeable on this area of law. So it's all about priority. You need to know uh, of all the problems staring at you, which one you need to solve first. Yeah, this is how you manage not only your time, but also your stress level. Prioritization, yeah, and uh, um, delegation. Yeah, what are some of the things that you can actually delegate to somebody and supervise? Like, can I, can I you know, draft this letter ask somebody to proofread it and fair it and send it out under the firm's letterhead, for example. Use the firm's resources uh, if you have that uh, luxury. Uh, if not, uh, prioritization yeah, and delegation. Yeah, these are two ways how I handle, uh, manage my time and also uh, stress, actually. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I think on a daily basis, uh, we face a lot of anxiety for work, especially when you have 1,000 things on your list and you have multiple lists. Yeah. But having said yes. that, uh, Gilbert, is the, what are the reasons as to why, what prompted the shift uh, from screen into uh, being in-house, I suppose? Yeah. 
Mm. You see, uh, when you are 25, 26, uh, what they call quarter-life crisis, I thought it was a joke, but it turns out that, uh, you know, uh, people say that for a reason, you know. And uh, I've always been curious as to um, how is it like when you're in the client's shoes, you know. I always see myself as a more a business or commercial-oriented uh, person. Um, from time to time, you know, uh, court practices have its ups and downs, you know, have its ups and downs, yeah. Um, of course, you have glorious times winning cases and all that. Sometimes you also can have very, a case that drags on for slightly too long, you know. So um, each job, each career, you know, each position comes with its uh, ups and downs, pros and cons, yeah. But for me, the main reason that prompted the shift was because I wanted to be more uh, commercial oriented. I wanted to learn about the running of uh, an organization, uh, you know, uh, and also um, um, how businesses are done. Uh, yes, so th those, th that is actually my uh, main uh, objective to switch over. Yeah, because for me, I see myself in five, 10 years time, um, it's going to be either an uh, um, um, further studies in MBA or, you know, uh, because uh, nowadays, um, having a law degree actually um, is very common. You need to have an additional specialized set of skills. Yeah? Uh, you need to market yourself as a lawyer specializing in this and that, or you come from a, a multidisciplinary background. Yeah? So that's very important. So I see myself in, in that direction uh, in the next five or 10 years time. Okay, thank you, Gilbert. Now, on that note, actually, would we see you back in uh, private practice anytime soon, maybe in the next 10 years? Would you want to set up but, your uh, own firm? Yes, actually, the uh, possibility is always there, you know. Um, nowadays, uh, I have uh, many friends, actually, even they talk about um, um, learned friends who stood on the other side of the case. You know, now I'm dealing with them, you know, even after moving in-house, I still deal a lot with lawyers. Actually, I, I know more lawyers now going in-house than I was in my previous job. Yeah, so the, the possibility is always there to come back to uh, practice, you know, it's always there, yeah. Right, so for those audience who are watching from home, you better uh, keep in view of this opportunity that might come up anytime soon. We don't have an exact timeline, but it might come up anytime soon. So. You, 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 you all watch out for that. Now, uh, Gilfred, one last question before we close off, okay? What, can you please give me, give the audience five advices for them to take home? Yes, actually, uh, before that, Binder, you know, I would like to actually share on uh, one thing that came up uh, to my mind uh, the other day when I was preparing this. You know, it, it, it uh, came across, it dawned upon me, you know, the challenges uh, of uh, being a commercial, uh, corporate commercial lawyer uh, these days, especially during uh, COVID-19. In this market, market, we are seeing an influx and, uh, um, of, of new lawyers, yeah? And, you know, job market, market is soft and all that. Um, marketing, you know, and personal branding is very important uh, these days. Yeah, on social media, on, on LinkedIn, and all that. You need to, um, you need people need to know you for something. Yeah, so you need to write a lot of articles, for example. 
you need to be active to make yourself known, you know, you need to, for example, when you are in an event, you know, I always see in my housing association event, uh, when it comes to question time, people always send out and say, hi, you know, my name is so-and-so, I'm a lawyer practicing in this, you know, I specialize in this area of law. Now, I have a question, uh, how much trees did you chop down in this residential area? So to me, half of that time is, you know, for him to market himself and promote his law firm. Uh, and uh, how many trees are being chopped down in this residential area really is the, the main question. What I'm saying is, I'm not asking you to ask that ridiculous and annoying question, but think of a way on how to market yourself. Marketing, uh, personal branding, and how to stand out, uh, that is very important. Um, and you don't need to be a very senior lawyer to, to, be, to start thinking about that. You can actually start young. Yeah, and I see many actually uh, law students, uh, younger lawyers are doing that these days. Um, so that, that actually is a challenge uh, of being a corporate uh, commercial lawyer. Um, now, before that, before moving on to advice, can I also share some uh, perhaps uh, stereotypes and myths you know, to our audience uh, in, in my practice? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Now, um, one of the myths is that, uh, um, of course, I've talked about but you, you must get the traditional view that you must get the pupillage or you must secure a vacancy right after pupillage. Uh, uh, that is busted because, you know, my advice actually, I personally believe that you, know, you can always consider working uh, other jobs, you know, better if they are related to legal uh, before applying for pupillage or vacancy in a law firm again. Um, another myth is it is always better to fight in court. Uh, that is not true. Uh, more often than not, people do not want the hassle of going to court. Uh, in a court case that I'm handling uh, at the moment, um, the, when you need to call witnesses to represent the company, the CEO needs to take time off. The CFO needs to take time off. The HR director needs to take time off. They're talking about top management taking time off and disrupting one uh, working day for them to go to court to testify. Uh, that is a huge race, race of the company's resources. So um, it is uh, very troublesome. Uh, people do not want the hassle of going to court. It is always better if you can settle out of court. Uh, of course, you must get uh, the, your stakeholders approval on uh, negotiation terms and settlement terms. Um, for example, if this person owes me 100,000 in uh, unpaid value of goods and he offers to pay me back 50, can we negotiate and close it somewhere between 80? You know, rather than going to court and get that uh, 100,000 back. So this is something that you need to think about uh, the cost of uh, hiring a lawyer, the resources you're going to spend in court, strength of your cases and all that. Now, um, another myth is a good litigation lawyer cannot be a good corporate lawyer. I, I think uh, um, uh, to me personally, there are recruiters in the market that thinks that when I hire for a corporate position, I want to hire somebody with corporate background. Yeah. Um, so how did I transition from a litigation lawyer, mainly litigation lawyer, to a in-house corporate role? Right. You must tell your recruiter or your company who's hiring that during your years or your experience uh, handling corporate litigation cases, you have also inevitably reviewed you know, contractual documents you have given corporate advices uh, to clients. 
the, you have drafted legal opinions on interpretations of certain contract. So there is no such thing as a pure litigation lawyer or a litigation lawyer cannot do a corporate uh, lawyer's job. Yeah, so it, is really, it really is how you see yourself and how you uh, market yourself. Yeah. Uh, in fact, some companies can see an added advantage, which is you can see things from a litigation point of view. Um, myth. This is going to be contentious, but I will still say it nevertheless. It is impossible to have work-life balance in legal practice. Uh, so many people have come and asked that question to me. Um, a joke that I can share is um, um, one time I was uh, in the dinner with a client and my boss. So my boss was sharing, oh, how he came back from, say, a, a cycling trip in uh, up the Fuji mountain, you know, he was at the Gobi Desert, you know, trekking a month, two months ago and all that. My client looked at him and be like, hey, uh, how you managed to get uh, such a good work-life balance? Huh? How you get the time? And the, my boss tapped me on the shoulder. So he worked, I have a life, that's a good work-life balance. <laughs> but uh, my, my point on that is actually uh, not so true because if you, if you work in a place or an organization that always demands overtime from you, then I think that uh, it could also be management issues or the firm's issues. Um, this is, of course, very subjective. You must uh, analyze the problem, whether or not you are using the correct method of, say, time management, prioritization, delegation. And if all that fails and you still feel overwhelmed from your work, I think, you know, uh, in the long run, um, it is better to perhaps switch an environment than uh, to feel burnt out. And to, you know, many, many good lawyers actually uh, have given up legal practice uh, because of this and gone in-house, which I think they will become very good advocates uh, in the future. Um, there are firms and companies that, that respect your personal life and after office hours. Uh, there are firms like that out there, a uh, good cultured firm. You just have to keep your eye peeled keep your eyes peeled and uh, be aware of them. Ask seniors around, they will be able to tell you, hey, this lawyer is known for this or that, you know, this firm is known for this or that, yeah. Now, having said that, do not be afraid to put in the hours and hard work, especially in the beginning, uh, you need to learn as much as possible uh, when you are a junior. Um, I can, yeah, then now move on to my advice, uh, Binder. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yep. I might not have five advice, you know, I thought of four. I think that's good enough, I think. <laughs> um, for the targeted audience, you know, uh, I cannot emphasize this uh, enough. Read, read, read. Uh, you must take an interest in legal developments. Uh, like, like all things in life, you will excel if you have a passion for it. And passion is, for some people, they are born with that. Um, for some people, you need to develop that passion because how can you fall in love with something that you don't know? You need to know it so good, so well that, you know, this is my turf. You're playing on my turf. Uh, you know, I'm the Ronaldo I'm the Ronaldo of the game, you know. Uh, read newsletters, like I said. Uh, uh, subscribe for free uh, to Lexology. I think that's a good place where you can get a lot of uh, updates. Uh, Lexology. Uh, read blogs by active lawyers who specializes in a particular area of law, like... Uh, uh, my previous boss, uh, Li Shi, uh, you know, he specializes in uh, corporate law. He writes very good articles. I always uh, read them. 
um, join mooting as and when you have the opportunity, join mooting. Uh, to me, that is the only platform for you, only effective and relevant platform, uh, I, can, I must say, for you to develop and hone your uh, advocacy skills, research skills, and to build confidence and speaking skills. Yeah, that's very important. Mooting is very important. Um, now, in university, you are taught basic principles or textbook principles of contract law. Uh, offer, acceptance, consideration, et cetera, et cetera. You also need to learn practical skills of drafting. Yeah. There are many articles online. Uh, again, those are by international firms uh, who uh, can give a very comprehensive and useful guide on uh, what should be in an agreement. So an agreement can actually be broken down into many uh, parts. Yeah. Of course, in, uh, uh, in my years in, uh, in uni, they never taught us uh, what are deemed as operative provisions in a contract, for example. Uh, or they said, uh, you know, what are the strategy or um, how do you look at boilerplate clauses? Because boilerplate clauses are not just drafted one way or the other. There are so many ways to draft boilerplate, uh, boilerplate uh, clauses, you know, to, to suit your uh, uh, strategy, commercial strategy. So look at ways to draft contract or review contract, uh, but not just in a textbook way, but in a practical way. Uh, and how do you do that? Uh, just Google. In Google, you get a lot of articles that uh, give you a lot of uh, insightful tips. Even I myself sometimes uh, are still Googling and learning uh, about uh, new ways to draft contracts and uh, new ways to understand laws. Uh, for example, the other day, uh, I was just reading, reading on disclaimer. So if you see sometimes people send out email, they have these small tiny fonts uh, at the bottom of that the, the, the email. You know, one very good article that I read on the economists uh, discuss the legality uh, and also the uh, practicality of uh, these uh, uh, tiny fonts. You know, and actually offered advice on how to make them more uh, enforceable uh, if it goes to court if it ever goes to court. Now, uh, finally, uh, if you're thinking about um, internships, yeah, um, you don't necessarily have to just join law firms uh, for, for internships, internships, yeah. Many people I've seen actually, they do internship in places that you cannot imagine, yeah. But the more common ones outside of law are like consultancy firms, uh, big four accounting firms, yeah. Uh, consulting firms are actually very interesting places uh, to to uh, because it is one alternative, and they do a lot of lawyers do jump over to consultancy uh, at some point of their career. Also, uh, PE firms, uh, private equity. You know, nowadays everyone is using a share market uh, app to do trading and all that. And you know, you have the Robinhood app and all that. People are getting more and more aware in the, in the investments and, and private equity. So consider joining private equity firms also uh, for internship. Uh, you will learn things uh, which might not be relevant now, but at some point of your career, um, you will use it for sure. That's for sure. All experience uh, will somehow come back to you uh, one way or another uh, later part in your career. Uh, those actually are the, the four advice uh, that I have to say uh, to the audience.